Motorist Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have come together to create a better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders, encircling you with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everyone, to episode 132 of the NBA podcast. We are now almost a full week into the 2018 NBA playoffs, so we're going to discuss the biggest surprises and disappointments thus far. Before we get underway, wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handle, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We'd love any feedback. We're being hosted now on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, so check them out on Twitter at, at AlmightyCasts. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's going well, Brian. I'm kind of concerned about a few teams in the playoffs, and I'm, I'm also kind of speculating why Tips decided to cut Cat's claws right before the playoffs, but <laughs> you know, Kitty oh. needs claws in the playoffs, and Kitty don't show no claws right now. That was a Kelly Scaletta pun, if I've ever heard one. It was. He's a bad influence. (laughs) The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's... A burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. <laughs> so we are also joined today by a very special guest. We've been meaning to have a Toronto Raptors fan on for a long time, and we figure when better than to have them when uh, the Raptors are actually good. So everyone, please welcome Josh Howe of Raptors Republic. Josh, how's it going? It's going great. Raptors 2-0, and baby. 2-0. <laughs> Did you ever think you would say those words? Uh, no. Not really. <laughs> so before we got underway, uh, Josh, could you let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work? Yeah, you can find me at HowVolution on Twitter. Um, just my last name with Volution attached. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can find my work at Raptors Republic, like you said, Brian. And uh, you can also find me at B-Ball Breakdown occasionally and uh if you like movie stuff i sometimes write stuff for scene creek so you can find me there too nice yeah check josh out he's gonna be a good value follow for frankly the next month because the raptors look like they're going pretty far into the playoffs so guys let's start with the surprises we're gonna start on a positive note and then end on the downer uh and josh i feel i feel like take it away with the raptors i mean two and oh for the first time in franchise history which when I saw that, I I mean, I guess it makes sense because they kept losing all of these game ones, but damn, that's that's a ridiculous stat. So, I mean, has this start surprised you? Did you expect them to get off to a 2-0 start? Did you, did you think the Wizards were going to steal one of the two, whether it was game one or game two? Um, as a Raptors fan, I've learned to never expect anything 
uh, <laughs> lest you will have it taken from you and just your heart ripped out. Uh, and then you'll be on the floor crying for like at least 30 minutes. Um, but yeah, no, uh, actually, it's it's been good. I've been confident. The Raptors have been good. It's translated to the playoffs like I thought it would. Um, we can finally put some respect on Kyle Lowry's name. Where is all this stuff? I haven't heard anybody talking about Kyle Lowry being so good. Cause I, maybe because people aren't watching Toronto that much and they're just looking at the stat sheets and his just box scores haven't been that impressive. Mm-hmm. But he's been great. Mm-hmm. He's been really good. He's de- defending the hell out of Bradley Beal. Uh, and you know uh, he's just been everywhere. Um, it's 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 been a wild ride. The, really, the Wizards like it's 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 so cathartic to watch them right now. They're infighting. They can't do anything <laughs> to defend us. Uh, they're trying small lineups, and Valanciunas is laughing at them. It's great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man, I'm just having I'm just having a great time. That first half of game two, like I didn't sit the whole time. I was just fist pumping. Um, every single time that CJ Miles made a three, I was like doing somersaults on the floor man it was it was amazing yeah i mean i i told you before we started but morton i had been on the island that the raptors have were actually good this year and weren't just gonna fall apart in the playoffs but it's it's nice to have that confirmed i'm, I'm happy for you guys you totally deserve it and something tells me we'll be discussing the wizards toward the end of this episode once we get to the disappointments because as you said More slander the, yeah the, the chemistry there doesn't seem to be all that great uh, Mort, I want to turn to you now because a couple Chicago Bulls, I mean, you know, the Raptors, we we knew were good. We Whether you thought they were going to go off to 2-0 or 1-1, you figured right. that series was going to be competitive at least. The Pelicans-Blazers series has to be the surprise of the first round so far. It's I mean, so fun. I, I said it in the Western Conference preview episode that you I did. wanted to pick the Pelicans, but I didn't because I'm a coward and because I'm an idiot. And because I've yep. doubted the, the stupid yep. Blazers for two years, and then the one time I feel like, all right, maybe I should finally reward them, they go and get down 3-0 in the series. And, you know, the first two games were competitive. Game three last night was an absolute blowout from the opening quarter. Like, the, the Blazers just, they look completely lifeless right now. Yep. I mean, it. I'd be shocked if this thing goes, I mean, it's, it very easily could be a sweep. I'd be shocked if it goes more than five. So, Mort, a couple of former Chicago Bulls are really leading the way in that series. Not only Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, who have both been playing out of their minds, but playoff Rondo is back. And Nico Miritich, man, did you Eight ever see and this o. coming? Yeah. 8 and O since shaving off the beard. <laughs> so, Brian, basically, if you shaved right now, you'll go on a lucky winning streak. You should go buy lottery tickets because apparently that's a thing. <laughs> I actually, I did shave on Wednesday, and then Embiid came back, so you might be on to something. Oh, oh, yeah, but, like, then imagine if you removed the whole beard, right? Oh, no, no. You would look I, like I, a two-year-old again, yeah. but, <laughs> right. right. No, it, it's, it's been impressive. I mean, Damian Lillard came out afterwards and said he's never seen defensive pressure like that, the way that he's being defended, which... I don't know, it seems like kind of a cop-out, because, like, he, when you look at him usually... He can spot up from 27 feet, or he can even pull up from 27 feet. And in game two, he was just completely timid, passive. And I like I keyed in on him immediately because I was kind of expecting Dame to come out hot in game two. Like, oh, they just lost game one. They're their upper seed. I was expecting him to go for like 40, 45. 
And he was just kind of going through the motions, just not being aggressive. And on the few occasions he worked, the game was out of reach and it was just not in, in their momentum at all. And that trend has continued. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in, in Dame, considering he always plays with this chip on their shoulder. But for some reason right now, that team is just not cohesive. They don't speak defensively, communicate defensively. Their, their shot making is really on and off. And... I don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. Do they have some internal issues? Like, I know usually that's you know the thing you go to, like when a mm -hmm. team struggles, oh, internal issues. No, it could be that they just get beaten. But I've never seen them this this passive. and this. It seems like they don't really put any you know, care into their work right now. It's just like nothing. There's no energy. There's no intensity. There's no fight. It's just same sets all the way through like are we do we not know something here it's possible i've seen people on twitter at least allude to dame having an ankle injury that he must have suffered toward the end of the regular season so there's mm. there's some question as to whether he's 100 percent. but then again who is 100 percent at this yeah, time right. of the year so i i think part of it more is like there's always one matchup in the first round especially, where like it, the seeding doesn't matter once you draw your opponent. And sometimes you just get a really bad draw in terms of oh, yeah. how these players match up against you. And I think it, the reason I had been like just chronically lower on the Blazers than most people was because, yeah, Damon and CJ are both great and both like all-star caliber talents, but they don't have that reliable third option like, if you shut them down, what happens? Like, who takes over? In theory, it's Yusuf Nurkic, but going against Anthony Davis, that isn't going to happen. So now you're relying on a guys like Al Farouk Aminu, Mo Harkless, Evan Turner, who we've said are all fine role players, but those aren't the guys you are going to go and expect to drop 25 if Dame's having an off night or if CJ's having an off night. Mm. And the Pelicans match up really well. I mean, the Drew Holiday is playing probably, I mean, this has to be one of the best three-game stretches of his NBA career on both ends. Oh, of the undoubtedly. Court. Undoubtedly. Yeah. I mean, like, he is, there was a, the Pelicans caught a lot of crap, and I think we, us included, when they re-signed him to that huge of a deal, he's proving why they did. Like, he is, in terms of two-way point guards, there are a few better than Drew Holiday right now. And what he's doing to Dame I mean, I, I don't remember the exact stats, but Dame's shooting percentage with Drew in particular guarding him is atrocious. Mm. And then they also have, you know, <laughs> playoff Rondo is a real thing. Like, that's, he is playing National really... TV Rondo. Yeah. he's yep. So actually, on that note, Sean Hyken uh, wrote a piece for Bleacher Report about Rondo and, like, why playoff Rondo is a thing. And it actually brought up some really good points. One is that, like, Rondo is apparently just maniacal about film preparation and having only, you know, being able to focus in on one team for that long, like, instead of the regular season where you're, like, switching between tendencies and teams every night, you get to really settle in and figure out, like, all right, how do I defend, defend Dame and CJ? How do I shut these guys down? And it seems like... He, along with Drew, along with Etuan Moore, have really figured out a good system to limit those two guys, and then that creates the problem for Portland of, okay, where's the rest of the offense going to be? 
Also, apparently, Alvin Gentry has given him more of a free reign than, you know, like back in his Dallas Mavericks days, with Rondo's Mavericks days when he and Rick Carlisle clashed because Carlisle's more of a hands-on guy. Mm. Uh, Gentry had some quote in Hyken's piece that was basically like, yeah, I, you know, sometimes I call a play, but then Rondo calls a different one, and I just trust him. Like, he knows, he puts in the work off the court to merit that kind of respect. So... Like, yes, the narrative of playoff Rondo is funny, but, like, it's a, I think it's a real thing. I, I mean, I don't think this is a fluky performance. His three-point shooting, probably fluky, but <laughs> in terms of his overall, like, command of these games, I think that's for real. And, I, I, I mean, between that and Miritich, like, my God, Nico Miritich, another guy who, you know, during his Bulls, tenure as more and i'm sure you can well attest mm-hmm. you saw these flashes from him oh yeah but but he just never put it together consistently from game to game and then well, he, he would you, for a few weeks yeah that's true. or even a month and then that would go away like he always finished the year strong like he would right. his march the month of march and virtually every season with the bulls was just outstanding and you would go oh he's got it he finally got it. Right. And, you know, then he sort of came back to earth. And then when training camp rolled around, it was the same thing, like with, with him starting out every year with inconsistency. So this playoffs might just be his march. I don't know. Um, right now he's hitting almost 59% from the field and 48 from downtown. Those are not sustainable percentages. Mm-hmm. So his real value is probably just a couple percentages down from each, each category. But like his complete him being maxed out potentially is a guy who will have a similar impact to what he's doing right now absolutely yeah i mean i just didn't see this kind of two-way play from him like he's always had the offensive potential and like yes 30 points on 12 of 15 shooting Mm. is not sustainable but he had four blocks in game one and three steals and a block in game three like him and davis together yeah. Giving, I mean, this this Pelicans team is just playing so damn well on both ends of the court. So shout out to Mason Ginsburg and the rest of the Pelicans fans out there. Godspeed against the Warriors next round. But enjoy this while you can, because this is a straight-up punking. But I will say this. We are getting you know, a very important, crucial, analytical approach to this series, which is Anthony Davis is pretty good. <laughs> right. Yeah, and the biggest surprise of all, Anthony Davis is good at basketball. Who knew? Just just a little bit, right? I mean, 28 points, 13 boards, two and a half steals, almost three blocks a game. That's that's okay. I'll take that. It's decent. It's not the Toronto Raptors, but I'll take that. <laughs> you know who else is decent for it? Is Joel Embiid, who came oh, back jo- Josh, just fair warning, for the next 20 minutes, just... Just, just disengage from the conversation. Brian will just go on a Joel Embiid thing, and then you clock in again in about twenty minutes. Just oh, okay. I'll, I'll go find my own uh, my own mask and I'll wear it. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stay away from Justice Winslow if you do. Uh, <laughs> I mean, his impact on Game Three was not a huge surprise. You knew he was going to swing that series when he came back. It's mm. more of a surprise just. As of Thursday morning, the Sixers still listed him as doubtful. And then the mid-afternoon, he got upgraded to probable, which then reports started coming out. Like, as long as he feels okay in pregame, he's going to play, which 
yeah, he was going to play. So, I mean, yeah, he, he came back 23 points, seven rebounds, a couple assists, a uh, few three-pointers in 30 minutes. Hassan Whiteside, who we will touch on in the disappointment section, did nothing against him. I mean, offensively, Embiid was very rusty in the first half, but defensively, he just changed the game immediately. And uh, I'm suddenly feeling a little bit better about my Sixers and Six prediction because, I mean, that was a game. If Embiid doesn't play that game last night, the Sixers get routed by at least 15 points. The fact that they took, they, I mean, they took some punches from that Heat team. Uh, and the fact that they withstood those and then went on that run in the fourth quarter. Ooh, it's uh, it's it's still surreal that they are this they're they're coming together this quickly. But on a scale of one to ten, how erect are you right now? <laughs> Not as much as I was during the game last night. I'll say that much. Mm, yeah. um, he was he was just tired of being fucking babied, man. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. But yeah. that's the thing. Like Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer had a report Wednesday. That said, like, if he comes back too soon and gets a direct blow to that eye or that the orbital bone, he's risking, like, permanent damage and permanent loss of eyesight or, like, permanent damage to his eyesight. So I read that and I'm like, oh, well, of, of course they're being cautious. <laughs> Why wouldn't they be cautious? And then he comes out last night looking like Batman. Uh Apparently, also, I saw he has to wear that mask for the next eight weeks. So as long as the Sixers are in the playoffs, we're getting masks up bead, which I'm very excited about. Josh, I need to ask you about the Indiana Pacers, because Mort was a lot higher on them coming into the playoffs than I was. I just figured LeBron James in the first round was going to do what LeBron James in the first round always does. I forgot that his supporting cast this year is uh, decidedly wanting for more so it's it's looking like the Pacers are at least going to give the Cavs a series they're tied 1-1 they needed I mean the Cavs need a 46 point night from LeBron in game two to win by three and if Oladipo doesn't get in early foul trouble who knows how that goes so the Pacers still stole home court advantage they're coming back for two games do you think they have a legit chance of pulling the upset and meeting your Raptors in the next round I think they have a chance, yeah, which I wouldn't have said probably before the playoffs. Um, yeah, that swarming defense has been great. Even when Oladipo, uh, he obviously got two fouls early in game two uh, while LeBron was going off and had to sit. And the Pacers came all the way back, and you know he missed a big three late. Um, they could have brought them back in the game. But, yeah, I mean, they've, they've, been, they've been really good. Like, like you said, the Cavs supporting Cavs just isn't that good. And... <laughs> You know, the whole time of the second half of the season, even though they went through all those deals of the trade deadline and brought in younger guys and stuff, you know, unproven, but whatever. Uh, and their defensive rating did get, you know, closer to like league league average again. They're still not a great defensive team. And it's one of those things that I had to preach, you know, over and over that this is my point with the Cavs is I just don't trust their defense and I don't believe in it. And look, if Jose Calderon is your best starting point guard, uh, you're, you have a problem. Um, I, and I know George Hills had some weird things going on, but uh, he needs to be the guy and he needs to be able to step up and he's, he's gone through some tough stuff and a couple of the games as well with some foul trouble, but yeah, I mean, and Oladipo has been fantastic, uh, out of like guys who have played, uh, at least 20 minutes, he has the best defensive rating right now in the playoffs. It's like 86. 
So he's just he's just killing it. Um, and then of course you know scoring on the other end, and you know he's he's doing great even with the the defense that the Cavs do have, which is basically trapping him. And uh, you know he waits them out instead of just panicking. I, I find that he actually he'll back himself out a bit. Um, he'll wait it out, and then as soon as he sees an opening, he'll take it. Uh, and if there is a guy he can pass to, he'll hit him. But he takes a lot of those openings, and the Cavs don't know what to do because you know they sent their initial trap and that was all they had they don't know what to do after that because their defense just isn't good so yeah the Pacers have really impressed me um I'm pulling for Kojo love Corey Joseph Mm -hmm. um and you know the the love injuries are scary too apparently he's playing tonight in game three but it sounded like he had a partially torn ligament or something in his thumb Mm -hmm. like so that's like ah I don't know about playing with that but he's going (laughs) through it anyway so So, but he and he's huge for them. They need him because he initiates a lot of their plays uh, from the elbow and stuff like that. They run a lot through Kevin Love. He's a good passer, obviously. So, it's going to be big if something worse happens to him. Yeah, it wouldn't be a playoffs if Kevin Love didn't suffer some kind of freak injury. I'm glad we're getting it out of the way now. But yeah, it sounds like I saw that twin ligament report too. I feel like that was from Dave McMenamin of ESPN or something like that, and then. Other reports just called it a jammed thumb, but as you said, it sounds like he's going to play through it either way. But yeah, I mean, what the Cavs have reminds me, I mean, LeBron is like in his own world, and he can, as he proved in game two, he can single-handedly carry the team when almost no one else shows up. But otherwise, they remind me of like, poor man's Miami, where they have a bunch of guys who could go off on any given night, like J.R. Smith could go off for 20 points, Kyle Korver could go off for 20 points. Rodney Hood or Jordan Clarkson, like all of those guys have the potential to be, you know, to swing one game, but like none of them have played that well. I think J.R. Smith was the second leading scorer in game two. That's not a good sign if you're Cleveland. You need more out of those guys, especially Rodney Hood. Like he was one of the biggest gets on paper, right? And he's just, I mean, part of it's probably just inexperience, but he hasn't been the guy that they need him to. And yeah. J.R. Smith has just totally fallen off. Like, I don't know what's up with him. He's walking around a lot. Like, he just he just doesn't even seem invested that much. He was he was into Oladipo early on in the game, and it just sort of went away after uh, he got, you know, got some fouls, and he went and sat down on the bench, and that, that intensity sort of just died off. Yeah. he. <laughs> I know what happened. He got that ring two years ago, and he peaced out. Yep. He got that <laughs> ring. He got that money. He's cruising now, man. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably just mad that he has to wear shirts now still. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you're, no, but you're, you're probably, like yeah. you're right because look, his his last two years, I mean last year and this year, compared to the year where they won the ring, good God. It's been so bad both years. Like he he's clearly better than what his product production suggests, and he's just like I agree with Josh, he's He's picking his spots, but not in a way that's aggressive. Like when we talk about players picking their spots, it's just, they're actively searching for it. And him, it's just like, oh, oh, you're giving me the ball, so I'll just, <laughs> I'll just launch this 35 footer, okay. And then whatever happens, happens. That's a major problem. And I think most of these Cavs, they do look disengaged. It's like they, they don't really play for. Any, it's sort of like what Portland is doing, just. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. LeBron seems to be the only one really up for these games. And right now, he's scored 39% of all their points in the first two games. That's just too big a load, man. Yeah. I mean, and and just to make matters worse for Cleveland, you know, they're one-on-one, 
And Bo- Bojan Bogdanovic has not been shooting well. That's going to come around at some point, and then, by God, Cleveland, what the hell are you going to do? I, I really don't know. Like, if Kevin Love, I mean, he had 15 points uh, in Game 2, so mm-hmm. J.R. Smith was the second leading scorer in Game 1, not Game 2. I was wrong about that. But, like, he, Love and LeBron combined for 61 of the Cavaliers' 100 points. They had eight other guys. Only one of them scored more than six points, and that was Kyle Korver, who had yeah. uh, four threes, 12 points overall. So I think a lot of it, and LeBron alluded to it, I think before game two, was you know they, they underwent that big transformation not only before the season but with trading Kyrie and bringing Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder, but then you do it again at the trade deadline, and it's just hard to develop chemistry with that many new pieces in a two-month span, especially when you're going against an Indiana team that has played together all year, underwent... I mean, yeah, they brought in Trevor Booker, but, like, that was... (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Right. Major hurdle. (laughs) Yeah, like, that was their only major change to the rotation. You know, their starting five has been playing together all year, so, like, they've had far more time to develop chemistry, and it seems like Nate McMillan trusts his starting group a lot more than Tyron Lue does because Tyron Lue switched up his starting group one game, like radically switched up his starters, benched Rodney Hood and Jeff Green and brought in Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith. And not that I disagree with those moves. I mean, I think you needed that kind of shooting in that starting lineup to around LeBron James, but it just seems like they're, it's like if LeBron doesn't have these superhero performances every night, I don't, I don't know if, if the Cavs have anyone they can trust to fill in that gap, especially if Love is if this thumb injury affects Love at all. So this it's, is a long-winded way of saying I regret picking the Cavs in this series. <laughs> it's also noteworthy that the starting lineup the Cavs went into, they, like in Game Two, had zero minutes together, and then when it was compared to Indiana's starting unit, was was that was seven hundred and eighteen minutes together on the floor. So if you take away LeBron's just abnormal, ridiculous, hot opening stretch where he scored what sixteen points in what seemed like four minutes, yeah, like that's a blowout for Indiana. Yeah, yeah. So basically, like, you, I mean, LeBron has to LeBron, and he has to LeBron for what forty plus minutes every night for the Cavs just to be, you know, hanging around, right. Like, Oladipo played 28 minutes in Game 2. Imagine if he plays 32. Yeah, which is, like, he should have played more, though. Like, when they were, yeah. Well, McMillan, he picked up the two fouls, like, a minute into the game, and McMillan pulled him very quickly, even though he then proceeded to get one more foul throughout the rest of the game. So it's, I understand the logic there, but it felt like he could have brought him back a little yeah, bit so sooner, especially since LeBron got off to such a ridiculous start. But, I mean, like, if I'm the Pacers right now, I'm going home feeling great about my chances. Like, yeah, LeBron's going to get his, but until anyone else in the Cleveland supporting cast, up, you know, comes through, like, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. The Pacers, they continue to surprise me. I still don't understand how they're this good, but they are, and they're. I don't think they're going away. This is going to be a much more... Hard-fought series than I expected going in because I put again too much faith in LeBron James' supporting cast. 
And I want a Pacers Raptors series, by the way. <laughs> I'd be yeah. down with that too, because there's no LeBron in that series. <laughs> there you go. There, there is a Victor Depot, though. There is. There is an Oladipo. Uh, but you know what? I'll, I'll take that. I think that'd be a fun series, actually. Mm. They've had some good yeah. competitive games in the regular season. Yeah, Miles Turner teams. and Jonas Valanciunas trading yeah. threes now. That's, oh, yeah. like That's a thing. That would be a thing. You can get some small yeah. ball surge at the five. Yeah, they, those teams would match up well. That'd be a fun series. Mm. Did, you guys see when, uh, did you guys see when Valanciunas hit that, that three-pointer, his first ever postseason three-pointer? Yep. The <laughs> ACC, just like they went bananas. <laughs> I was, yeah, it was crazy, man. I was like, this is real. It's for real. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was at the ACC in 2014 when, and that was against Philly, ironically, mm. um, when they were really, really bad. The, the oh, process yeah. had barely begun. And it was, it's just such a, like, there was, it was not a game. Like, they were done. Um, and, like, I had not been in an NBA arena where fans were so hyped up about beating like a team that was virtually nothing. <laughs> and like I love the yep. Toronto fan base. Like it felt like a football atmosphere. And I when I say football, like I mean proper football, not American football. Again, <laughs> I have to make that it's an American podcast, so I have to make that clear. It felt like a European football mentality, like the fan base there after the game singing Hooing and hawing, like waving flags on the train. That's so fun, man. Yeah, it's a great atmosphere. The ACC is the best. Um, yeah, man, the atmosphere is just like it's crazy. I think I think it's just from so many years of cheering when we had to beat like we beat literally anybody because our team was so bad. Um, <laughs> you, you just get used to it, and then it's like, oh, we're winning a lot now. This is just like <laughs> euphoric. Like I don't know what to do with this. I like the whole season. I think the Raptors fan base has just been like trying to figure out itself and I'm trying to understand. Like I don't know what this is. I feel like a teenager. I'm in like a teen's body, and I'm going through changes. And uh, yeah, I think I like it, but I'm not sure yet. Let's wait until I'm 20 and see. <laughs> To be honest, the Sixers fans are going through a very similar phenomenon right now. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that. Uh, more, we got to talk about Jalen Brown, too, in terms of pleasant surprises. Because we oh, were yeah. going into that Boston-Milwaukee series, we both thought it was going to go pretty far, if not the distance. And Jalen Brown's doing his part to make sure it's going to be over a lot more quickly than we expected. Yep. 50 combined points in the first two games of the series. On what twenty one of forty one shooting? Yeah, seven of seventeen from downtown. But he only has two free throws, so that means he's not good. <laughs> I saw right. someone on Twitter say because Twitter is dumb. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Jalen Brown is awesome. He's just yeah. he's been yeah. Look, he's playing in the NBA playoffs like he did at summer league last year. Like yeah. he looked like he just didn't like he should be on a higher level. Like people were like after one game. Just Jalen, go away from summer league. You're not <laughs> right. needed here. Just go on. And like right now, he's doing the same thing in the playoffs, and he's just been marvelous. Oh my goodness, uh, I don't I don't know what it is. Like you would think that Milwaukee had the weapons to slow him down. They have so much length on the perimeter, but for some reason, they just they can't stick with him. And I am just flabbergasted at why. I mean, I need to go back and look at the tapes when the series is done and see what the hell are they not doing everything they're not yeah. doing everything <laughs> they're they're being coached by a guy who is way in over his head and they have no which isn't team. his fault by the way right right, like, right let's right, not right. Yeah. crab on joe just no it's just yeah, yeah i mean 
That that series could be so good if Milwaukee had a better coach. But like in terms of the talent, that's what we said going in. Like talent wise, Milwaukee has the Bucks or has the Celtics number, but mm. Brad Stevens versus Joe Prunty was the biggest coaching West match of the first round, and it's proving to be the case. I mean uh, it's that that Bucks team is just so well, we could talk about them when we go to the disappointments, but yeah, I mean, shout out to Jalen Brown, to Brad Stevens for, mm. I mean, I, I don't know how this Boston team continues to do it. And just think about this, guys. Like, what happens when Kyrie and Gordon Hayward come back next year? Like, this team is going to be, no offense to the Raptors, Josh, but like the Celtics, no matter what happens with LeBron, I feel like the Celtics are going to go into the season as the favorite to come out of the East. Just because, like, god damn, if they're playing this well without their, you know, on paper, two best players, what happens when those guys come back? Yeah, they hung on to that, uh, like, well, I guess they just they just kept winning during the regular season. Like, when we were chasing the one seed and they still had it for so long, I couldn't believe that some of the games they pulled out. Because they'd be down, like, big in a lot of those games, and they kept coming back late. And I was like, come on, man, just let us have this. We're so close. <laughs> and you have like half of your roster. How are you doing this over and over? Um, but it's Brad Stevens, man. He's a smart coach. He knows what he's doing. I wonder, like, if you switched Stevens, and I, it's not really fair to say Prunty, like we guys are saying, because he's the interim. But um, almost like any other coach, if you put Stevens on the box, like, how long is that series against the Celtics now? Like, yeah. five games? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you yeah. put Scott Brooks as the coach of the Celtics. Hmm. And then Brad Stevens is the coach of the Bucks. Yeah, zero chance it would be uh, hmm. the Bucks would win that running away. Yeah, um, yeah, and Jalen Brown, like you're saying, he's been so good. He's like he's not shooting that many free throws, which apparently, yeah, like you said, more makes him bad. Apparently, <laughs> um, but you know what? I, I yeah, I, I can't. That's hilarious. I love that. But you know what? He's taking uh, the third most drives on the team, yep. and uh, he's taking like five and a half shots out of that. And he's got a 70.6 point percentage on drives. So every time he drives, he's getting a bucket. doesn't matter if he's going to the free throw line because he's getting buckets. Yep. So, like, you know, like, he's, he's been so good on his drives. And he's creating a lot of his own offense because his catch and shoot numbers are actually, like, pretty average and typical. It's all, like, his pull-ups. Like, all of his pull-up shots are just insane. Like, he's shooting, like, 66% on pull-up threes. Like sixty six percent, like like he's just torching. I I I mean that's not going to stay that hot, but um, I mean you know you, they've given him the reins because they had to give somebody the number one option reins, and they picked him, and uh, it's working out so far. So yeah, everything is like self created, right? A vast majority is is self created, and that was the big knock on him coming out of college was his supposed inability to shoot and the fact that he didn't seem to be a creator. Well. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he kind of solved that, and now the league has a problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, Josh, any other surprises come to mind, or do you want to switch to the disappointment side? Um, no, I think that's, I think that's it. If, yeah, no, I got nothing. All right, so let's swing over to the disappointments then. And, ooh, I mean, ooh, I have one. I have oh, one okay. right off the bat. Jabari Parker's averaging one point a game. <laughs> <laughs> oh man did you see his comments wow. about like i don't i'm on coach's bad side i don't know why i'm not being utilized more 
Uh, I'm getting yeah. Jalil Okafor vibes Ooh. from Jabari Parker. Whoa. Uh, no, 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 no. Let me explain before you begin with all your ooh and ah, Brian. <laughs> I'm talking about the sense of self-worth. Like him mm. thinking that he is a lot more than what he really is. Like, remember Ja in Philly? He was like, no, 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 I, I should be playing. I should be getting 30-plus minutes. I should be getting these amounts of touches and yada, yada, yada. Jabari, I feel, is kind of similar in that regard. He doesn't seem to be, like, the prototypical new age. I'm going to share everything. Like, he wants to be the guy, and I don't know. Sometimes it seems like that need is a little bit bigger for him than it is to be a team-oriented player. I don't know if I'm going to totally agree because before he went down with the ACL, I mean, he was really good. He was better than Jalil Okafor was. Oh, yeah. Again, not comparing talent. Yeah, yeah. Mindset. Yeah, I mean, I can understand his frustration just because he's going into, I mean, he's in the contract year. Like, this is, you know, for all we know, he has two games left and he's about to be a free agent. So, like, I get that he wants to prove himself and prove that he deserves that kind of a role but yeah as you said like it's the playoffs right now you can understandably want that opportunity but at the same time like you're getting your ass whooped on both ends of the court like you're not if you were playing better joe prunty would play you more it's not like you know hassan whiteside who we'll talk about shortly is having the same thing he's like uh, you know, uh, coaches and playboys, we're only running, he just wants to be set screens and go to the corner. Like, yeah, if you were doing more with your touches, he would run more or give you more touches. Mm-hmm. But you're not doing anything. So, like, of course, they're not just going to, like, bang their head against the wall just to appease your ego. And that's kind of where I'm coming from. Like, yeah. the thing where the ego needs to be maintained, mm-hmm. but you don't really have enough game to back up that ego necessarily. Right. That's what I'm comparing. You yeah. could argue that Whiteside is a better comparison than Jalil Okafor. That mm-hmm. was just because the, that was the guy who came to mind. Whiteside yeah. is definitely the same kind of caliber player. Yep. I just feel it's unfortunate that Jabari is using a playoff moment to go, hey, I'm looking out for number one. Right. That's yeah. not a good thing. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, again, I, I, we said it a few minutes ago, but the Bucks in general, man, like, Giannis is playing so damn well in these playoffs. And for them to be wasting that, like he's averaging 32.5 points, 11 rebounds, 7.5 assists. How? Yeah, shooting 63.2%. And Chris Middleton, too, is playing out of his mind. 28 points. Oh, we should have mentioned him. We forgot. As as a surprise? Yeah, well, surprising that he has this high volume. Oh, the volume, yes. I was going to say, we're, he's our baby boy. We're not surprised with his success. Yeah, no, 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 we... obviously, but 70% from downtown is maybe... Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's a minor surprise. But yeah, like those two guys are playing so well, but you were getting nothing else. Like Eric Bledsoe, his whole... who Who's Terry Rocher? I don't know who... Who? Who? Like, yeah, oh, he's my, the guy my who... son is six, and he's more mature than that. Right, he's the guy who's been lighting your ass up for two games, and who's yeah. gonna continue lighting your ass up unless you put forth more effort on defense. He was the, the one that made games. you skate so much, reach Denmark, goddamn it! <laughs> right, right, like ugh. it's I I really empathize with Bucks fans because this team does have the talent. Frankly, like they should be a legitimate conference finals threat. Like they 
They should be blowing this Boston team out of the water if the coaching matchup was more even, and they would match up well with the Sixers or the Heat in the next rounds. Like they mm-hmm. they really had a path to go to the conference finals, but instead they're probably going to get knocked out in the next two to three games just because the Stevens Prunty thing is such a blowout. You want to know what sucks. they should do? Hire Frank Vogel. No, they should start Matthew Delavadova and just tell him to go ape shit on it. On Terry? Yeah, like defensively, not injure him, obviously. Right, but right. I mean, look, Delavadova is one of those guys who doesn't need shots. He will defend his ass off and he'll take open three point shots. And he's a better knockdown shooter from range than Eric Bledsoe. Mm-hmm. I mean,. That would allow Giannis to be freed up a little bit more to handle more of the responsibility. Middleton, too. I guess Malcolm Brockton a little bit more. Because it seems like Bledsoe is using up a lot of positions and not really getting a whole lot out of it. Wait, Malcolm Brockton is? No, no, no. No, uh, Bledsoe. Bledsoe oh, is yeah. not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. going to say, Brock, Brockton's no, no, been no, no. Brockton's a been, bright spot. No, no, no. He's, he's good. I mean, yeah. he, that, that's not been an issue. Like, the issue right now is Bledsoe and also John... Yeah. John Henson going potentially down, so yeah, him, yeah. Well, well Sam Vecini of the Athletic had a tweet the other day where he was like, "There, there was some lineup on the floor. I think it was with Giannis, Jabari, and John Henson against an all spacing lineup for Boston." And he's like, "Just what are you doing? Like seriously, Milwaukee? What, what the hell? Like, mm. ugh, it's so frustrating." So. That's that. I'd say they're probably one of the obvious disappointments, along with Portland, who we'll hit on shortly. But Josh, you you alluded to this earlier, so I'm gonna let you. I don't know if you want to troll, you can feel free. But like, I don't know if it's bad karma to make fun of how dysfunctional the Wizards are. But man, it, like that carried right over from the regular season, huh? Uh, yeah, it's it's hilarious. I can't no, I can't lie. Like I. I it's funny, man. It's it's helping in the catharsis. It really is. Like every time, like did you see? I think it was like just this morning that um, Bradley Beal was having to defend that photo that got taken. Oh, of, like right. he's on the bench, he's like covering his eyes, and Gortat and Wall are just like screaming at each other. And he's like, "Oh yeah, it didn't look. It's not as bad as it looks. You know, we were down at all Raptors fans are like, no, it was as bad as it looked. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, like what are you doing? What are you trying to do here, man?" Like, you know, and uh, Scott Brooks apparently has gone to Beal and be like, oh, don't worry, I'm going to run some more plays for you. It's like, that's not the problem here. Um, <laughs> like, they just they just aren't good. And the infighting is hilarious. Like, I, I think it was not too far from the end of the regular season, but when Gortat was talking about, oh, yeah, I kind of want to go back to Orlando and retire there. Yeah. I was like, how bad does Washington <laughs> have to be that he wants to go to Orlando and retire? <laughs> right. Like, that's... That's horrific. I mean, I mean, it's nicer, it's warmer there. Um, but yeah, like, geez, man, come on. And he's always going at wall. And, you know, um, I disregard anything Paul Pierce has to say. But I thought it was funny that I did hear him say about how, oh, that's just their relationship. And so I was like, yeah, their relationship is that they hate each other. Right? I mean, that's, <laughs> right. not, that's, not a, that's not a good working relationship. So, you know, they've got a lot of issues. Scott Brooks literally looks like he's trying not to cry all the time because he's like, he has to deal with this crap. Um, <laughs> And he's just standing there, and you know the reporters are saying, "Well, so what are you going to do to adjust?" And he's like, "Uh, well, you know, uh, maybe go small." Like he can't, right. like he doesn't, he doesn't have many answers because one, the Raptors are just better. Honestly, they're deeper, and they, they, you know, they just they are better. The top end talent, you could argue, is you know about the same. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but Wall just came back from an injury, and he's clearly not 100% himself. Um, and, you know, the, the rest of the team is just is brutal. And, you know, they also they lost a rotation guy in Jody Meeks with the drug incident. Mm. Um, so that was a blow to them, especially uh, he was another one of their shooters, uh, which would have been useful. Um, and, you know, so now they're, like, they're having to play, like, Ty Lawson uh, big minutes in the playoffs. They yeah. literally just signed him at the end. And, you know, surprisingly, he hasn't been that – he wasn't that bad in game two. They didn't play him in game one, but uh, he wasn't that bad in game two. But um, still, like, you know, as a Raptors fan, you're sitting back and just kind of relaxing and watching this going, okay, yeah, if you have to play Ty Lawson and hope that he and Mike <laughs> Scott are going to save you from the number one seed. Yeah, you know, like, it's yeah. there's a lot of Raptors fans now going, hey, I think we might actually have a sweep. Um, yeah. I, I wasn't that confident. I picked Raptors in five. But, hey, I mean, if they win tonight, it's over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's wild that Ty Lawson, as you said, played 31 minutes in game two. Otto Porter played 25. Like, yeah. What? what you, know what the other good, <laughs> you know what the other good thing with that is, too, is that Porter was one of the best defenders on DeRozan uh, throughout yeah. the course of the regular season. He was really good on him. And DeRozan, uh, game two, oh, he figured it out. He, he had a little bit of trouble uh, finding his own shot and um, picking his spots and stuff in game one. But in game two, he figured him out, man. Um, that's not going to work anymore. So, you know, uh, yeah, they just they don't have any options left. Sorry if you're a Wizards fan, I guess, but uh, I, I don't feel that bad for you because you swept us a few years ago. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Turnabout is fair play. Yeah. Uh, more, the Bye Felicia segment for uh, the Wizards and the Blazers are going to be, oh, boy. We got a lot to talk about for those two teams. Oh, yeah. Um. All right, who should we go into next? Can I should I do my Hassan Whiteside mockery now? If we're just gonna I, I think I think you yeah. need to. I yeah, think you yeah. need to. Do Man, it. I mean, he was like he was very bad in the first two games because the Sixers ran a lot of lineups. You know, Embiid missed those first two games. They had essentially so with the five that just stretches Whiteside out. So he combined for I think like twenty seven minutes and just did nothing in those two games and B comes back in game three and one of the storylines is well well you know is that going to get Whiteside on the court more is that going to get him more involved in the series uh nope he's still he's just like mentally checked out and I had a feeling this might happen like I read I wrote a thing for fansided going into the series about keys to the series and one of it was Hassan Whiteside versus himself and he's losing that battle right now I mean he played 13 minutes had five points on one of one shooting. Like he spent most of game three with more fouls. He had four than points. He got like a late Dwayne Wade alley oop to get <laughs> five points and four fouls. But I mean, I, like kudos to Embiid for not trolling him. I think he's waiting until the series is over and then he's just gonna unleash like an avalanche on Instagram, which is gonna be great. But man, I really, I mean, it's it's amazing how quickly. Most Heat fans have turned on him. And then there are some who are like, oh, yeah, he's right. He should be playing more. They should be running more offense through him. When you realize, like, no, you, the way to beat Philly is not to go right at their best defender in the center. Like, you, if you wanted that to work, you should have gone to that the first two games when, right. like, Ursan Ilyasova was in the starting lineup. And, mm-hmm. you know, at least counter... Like, Ilyasova's going to beat Whiteside because he's going to stretch him out. But if, yeah, like, back Ilyasova down, he doesn't have the heft to compete with Whiteside. Embiid's going to eat his lunch. So, 
Man, it's, I mean, the quotes after game three, uh, like, Whiteside's been passively aggressively, or passive aggressively attacking Eric Spolestra in his minutes and, like, rotation distribution all year. And, you know, he said at the end of March when they lost to the Nets, it was like bullshit that they're matching up and going small. We have one of the best centers in the league. So, like, yeah, going back to your Jabari point, where Whiteside is like Jabari on steroids. Like, he really thinks of himself as this, like, all-NBA, all-star center when the Heat are like, dude, you're DeAndre Jordan. Just be DeAndre yeah. Jordan and we'll use you like that and you could be good. But we're not, like he was saying, oh, well, Embiid gets to post up and Embiid's living the big man's dream. Like, yeah, Embiid could shoot threes. Like, Embiid has range on his shot and he's reliable. Like, you, you're you not that good, Hassan Whiteside. Like, the the best thing the Sixers could do for themselves in game four is not get him in tr- foul trouble. Like, every time he gets in foul trouble, Kelly Olenek comes on the floor and actually plays well and it's a competitive series. And then Whiteside comes back and, like, has a bunch of defensive miscues. He had an awful turnover in the fourth quarter to help start that run. I love it. It's so great. So I'm yeah. really excited. I'm excited to see what happens in game four because... Oh boy! I mean, I was on the Locked On Heat podcast earlier this week, and they are they are ready to turn on him if they haven't already. So it feels like we're gonna reach an inflection point with Hassan Whiteside very soon. I'm I'm glad you said that if you hadn't done it for the first two games, that's where I'm standing. Like with them beat out in the first two games, that was the prime opportunity for Miami to actually establish him offensively. Yeah, and again, like I've mentioned on this podcast several times that. The, He's actually not that bad of a score that people make him out to be. Like 20 points a game per 36 this season. And he's his free throw shooting is actually above 70% for the year as well. Like he's he's not a bad offensive player. It's just that he is he's limited to playing near the rim all the time, which isn't mm-hmm. like new age, you know, complimentary. But there's still some value to be drawn from it. And with him beat out, that was just the prime opportunity for them to do that. And they didn't. So why expect him when Embiid comes back to go, oh, <laughs> now I can. No, that's when you avoid it. Like, that's when you go perimeter. Right. So, like, yeah. As, as efficient as a Hassan Whiteside mid-range two is, I'm sure they can get better shots. Like, I, oh, would, yeah. I would rather trust Justice Winslow to continue rating three-pointers like he did in the first half because at least the Sixers were just, like, not guarding him at all, just giving him the Tony Allen treatment of, like, all right, hit three or four, or we're literally not going to even... There was one play early in the game where Ursan, at least over there, they were, like, rotating, and Ursan realized Winslow early. He saw, like, he, there was a wide-open guy, so he starts to close out, and then he realizes it's Winslow, and he just stops, like, dead in his tracks. <laughs> it was so disrespectful. I love it. Ah, um... Wait, we got to talk about Tibbs, too. You you mentioned with that awful cat claws pun mm-hmm. at the start of the episode. Oh, yeah. But, damn. If it's from Kelly Skeletta, it has to be awful. Like, the That's pun. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, man, I mean, we, you know, we were worried going into the series about Tibbs' minutes rotation and all the, the guys just being worn down at the end of the year. I don't think it's... I don't think that's the problem now. It just nope. seems like... I, I mean, he put... Towns on blast after game two and said, like, he needs to run up and down the floor harder, basically. But, like, meanwhile, Derek Rose is outscoring Carl Anthony Towns in this series. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> What's going on? 
I don't know, Brian. At this point, I'm just <laughs> ready to give up on the whole tips and experiment in Minnesota. Um, so Seklo had an interesting point on his podcast. Uh, he had Dan Devine from Yahoo Sports on, and it was they were debating whether or not it was by design that Cat was standing in the corner, you know, trying to spreading out the offense instead of going to the block when when there was a switch. Mm-hmm. Like, if he had a smaller player on him, instead of going into the post, he would just immediately sprint down to the corner to provide spacing. And that's apparently because, and I think he's right about this, Minnesota prefers the drive that it prevent, that it gives them having a mismatch. Like, they would have rather have, like, the small guy go against the big guy in isolation. Which is just, at this point in time, when you're struggling that much, it's just not a good idea. Especially mm-hmm. when the guy that you're sacrificing is Towns. Mm-hmm. Because the thinking is, oh, we want our best shooter open, and that's Carl Anthony Towns. But there's different ways that you can get him involved. Tips has never been an offensive genius, and that has really come into play right now. Yeah, It's been three games. Cat is averaging... Oh, sorry, two games, and Cat is averaging six and a half points per game. Yeah. He's looking completely disengaged because of it. Like When he instinct, instinct, instinctively runs down to the corner... Knowing full well he has a small on him, that's just bad basketball from tips, from towns for not saying, hey, you know what? Screw coach. Give me the ball. Like, just right. going to the boat. Like, <laughs> everyone needs to be more assertive, and they need to be on the same page, and they haven't been all year long. And given that we've heard so many rumblings over the course mm-hmm. of the season that there are internal strife between tips and towns and Jimmy Butler and Wiggins and, yeah... It's just a bad cocktail right now. I wouldn't even be surprised if Mini gets swept and Towns is like barely averaging 10 points a game. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. It's just unfortunate that 2018 Carl Anthony Towns is more or less 2015 DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. But Mm -hmm. that's where we are. Yeah, I mean, the Wolves were always going to lose this series just because math. Like, Houston shoots the most three-pointers. Minnesota shoots the least. They, like it was never going to be a fair fight just because Tibbs has not embraced a very obvious three is greater than two. But yeah, I did not, two games into the series, I did not foresee Derek Rose being the team's second leading scorer and having the second most field goal attempts, more than Jimmy Butler, more than Towns. That's not good. Nope. Like Andrew Wiggins is leading the team in both points and shot attempts. Like oh, that's playing, when you know you're messed. Right. Like, you yeah. are playing right into Houston's hands. They will live with that all day. So, ugh. if Milwaukee is, like, the most frustrating team from a coaching perspective, Minnesota is not that far behind. And I Mm-mm. I don't think Tibbs is going to get fired this summer, but it wouldn't surprise me if they strip him of GM duties and allow someone to actually build a bench behind him so they can get guys aside from... Derek Rose and Jamal Crawford, and that's about all they've got going I'm going to one-up you. I think Tips will get fired this summer. Really? Yep. It's, it's possible, man. If I mean, yeah, you alluded to it. They, I mean, Taj and, Taj and Teague, at least, both went on the record at some point this season and basically said, like, look, we need our, A, we're getting tired, and B, we need more of a bench. And yep. if, you know, I... I was optimistic about the Tibbs in Minnesota experience because I figured his year-long sabbatical, he would learn 
he would see the blind spots in his yep. coaching game from Chicago and he would address them. And instead, yes, he, he has doubled down on those weak spots. And I mean, it's you're right, more it's proving to be like a toxic cocktail there in Minnesota. And with Jimmy now heading into a contract year, Towns is going to be mm-hmm. eligible for an extension this summer. Like this is a a sneaky pivotal summer for Minnesota. So if if this strife continues. Whew, it's bad news bears for the Timberwolves. So, so what does it say about a coach who spends a year going around the league, visiting with different coaching <laughs> staffs, including San Antonio's yep. and Greg Popovich, yep. and thinking like his outcome is, oh, I did it right, but I need to do more of it. <laughs> right. Doesn't say anything good. Nope, not really. Uh, uh, Josh, we, we, we talked about the Blazers a bit in the Pelicans. Uh, discussion earlier, but I feel like we really need to harp on just how badly Dame and CJ have been playing because, you know, man, like Dame is probably going to be, if not a first uh, first team All NBA, he's definitely going to be on one of the first three two teams. Or, I mean, definitely one of the first three, most likely one of the first two. He's shooting thirty two point seven percent field in this series cj's a little better he's at 45.5 percent, 21 points per game but the blazers in general man they are just a mess right now what do you think's going on with them drew holiday has returned it's like <laughs> one of those uh it's like one of those uh i don't is it like wrestlemania where the, they had um or the rocker or something i'm not that big into wrestling this is a bad reference for me but there was one <laughs> where the rock returns to like i think it was wrestlemania and he's like the rock has returned and it was like oh, a huge yeah. thing that's basically what I saw when Drew Holiday had that massive dunk um, to start the last game uh, near the beginning. And it was just like, yep, okay, he's <laughs> scoring too. Like, this is all-star Drew Holiday we're getting right now. Yeah. He is also locking up Damian Lillard. Like, um, he might, Dame might have some nagging injuries and stuff too, for sure. But, like, Drew Holiday is in his space constantly. Like, he's swallowing him. Um, and that length and size is just too much for Dame to figure out. Um, and get around it's it's really difficult i've seen a lot of comparisons to the like 2015 raptors for the blazers mm-hmm. and i sympathize um but you know like they're they're not quite the same obviously they don't actually well so far they haven't been isolating as much in the playoffs as those raptors did with those mm-hmm. guys i think they're they're 11th in isolation frequency and they're actually in the 76th percentile so like they're okay in isolation but like solid's not good enough um for this this series because anthony davis is like putting in you know he's showing that he's a top five player like uh he's just taking over the series and then i mean damian lillard's turning the ball over a lot and he's like five turnovers a game um so he i think he's just shook a little bit to be honest i've never really seen him like this before it's it's kind of weird um but yeah and and cj has been okay but he obviously can't do it by himself and the the Blazers really flipped that sw- uh, script this year with um, the narrative about them, which was that they can score, but they can't defend. And mm-hmm. then this season, they were actually a really good defensive team, but they had trouble scoring, and they were basically just going to their two go-to guys, and uh, which is reminiscent of Raptors' past. So, yeah, uh, the Pelicans, they just look better. And, I mean, like you said earlier, Rondo's out there and he seems to know everything that they're going to do before they do. And he's just calling <laughs> it out. And the rest of the Pelicans are going, great, okay, uh, here's the play coming. And they blow them up every time. And then 
I, then it ends up being um, something out of isolation later after that. So, you know, and once Nurkic is also taken away, um, yeah. there's another offensive option that the Blazers, the Blazers just can't exploit anymore. So, yeah, they just uh, they look screwed. They're down 3-0. They're <laughs> definitely not coming back. I did not expect this at all. Um, yeah, this is just a throttling. Yeah, it really is. And to your point about Nurkic, I mean, here's how you don't want to go into a summer where you're going to be a free agent. You average 9.7 points and Mm -hmm. 7 rebounds, shoot 38.5% from the field, and only play 20 minutes a game. He's getting played off the floor because Anthony Davis is just beating him so badly. And, you know, he's giving an opportunity for Zach Collins, who's actually, you know, he's shown some flashes. Like, I... I, I thought the Blazers, after making that trade last year and what Nurkic provided them right away, you know, he was a little more hit or miss this year, but he was still pretty good, all things considered. I thought they were going to have to resign him this summer, just given all, all, what they gave up for him. But I don't know, man. Like, now, considering their uh, salary cap standing right now and, like, how that would push them well into the luxury tax, most likely, unless they can dump one of these other bad contracts, like, they might just take their chances with Zach Collins and try to re-sign Ed Davis or just Zach Collins and Myers Leonard. Like, I don't know that Nurkic is going to give them what they want, especially, like, the, this Pelicans team isn't going away. If anything, they're probably only going to re-sign DeMarcus Cousins, so they're going to have two big men who's going to stretch Nurkic out to the three. You go against a Golden State Warriors team, he has no place against a small ball lineup. Same with Houston when Clint Capella's not on the floor. It's the 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 market for big men, like Nurkic is one of those like traditional bruising big men. And like Steven Adams is proving those guys do still have a place in the league if you are elite at defense and rebounding and shot blocking, but I'm not sure Nurkic is there. So it's gonna be really fascinating to see what happens with him. Like you, I mean, Josh, like you, I'm I'm assuming this series is effectively over. So, like, I'm already thinking about, like, all right, come July 1st, what is Portland doing with Yusuf Nurkic? I have no idea. So, here's the thing with me uh, and Nurkic. I think he does have the potential to become much like Valanciunas mm-hmm. in, in regards to learning how to shoot the three, maybe low volume initially. Mm-hmm. When you look at his mechanics and the way that he actually shoots the ball, there's virtually no reason for him to not be able to hit the three like it's a pretty clean jump shot mm-hmm. and the mechanics are all there it's just about getting acclimated to the range and we hear about that you know from players from time to time oh it's moving out it's just about finding the right you know push it's how much how much power you need to to use for the basketball to feel comfortable i i'm not saying it's going to happen over one summer not saying it's going to happen over two, but down the line, he could become one of those guys. Then you have to ask yourself, are you willing to maybe sacrifice a couple of years, like developing that part of his of his game? Or are you just so much into the now that you go, we can't stick around and wait for that. Sack Collins can already hit it, so we go forward with him. And then if Nurkic develops that shot down the line from a different team, then so be it. Like, that's the question you need to ask. Yeah. Because I think he can. I don't think he's necessarily just a old-school traditional big man. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I mean, he he very well... It, it's going to be... I just don't know if he's, like, the fit in Portland that they were hoping for him to be. But, yeah, no, I agree. 
I mean, I do think I'm not saying there's not a place for him in this league. I mean, I think he's still a fine player, and he, he he'd be a valued. You know, he he if nothing else, he could follow like a Nikola Vucevic type development curve. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know if if that's what Portland in particular needs, especially again given where they are salary cap wise. Do you guys uh, think that we've reached a point now where the most optimal center? Is actually a three and D guy. Huh. Uh, like a three and D center. Like that's that's what you really need. Like that's the optimizer. Like if you look at the draft, the teams are just constantly looking at Jaron Jackson Jr. and going, Oh my god, this mm-hmm. is a guy who can protect the rim, defend in space, and he can hit the three. Like he's they're Pete I supposedly, allegedly I should say, teams are talking about should he be drafted in front of Giantre Aiden? Like, that's a legitimate discussion because he fills those needs. I would say it depends on the connotation. Like, because 3 three and D guy typically means, like, that's all they do. Like, I, I, I hear 3 and D guy and I think of, like, Trevor Ariza or, like, Robert Covington. Right. Like, role players, basically. Like, you can't yeah. count on them to create their own offense. I think the ideal center is an Anthony Davis or a Joel Embiid or, you know, Towns, <laughs> this series notwithstanding, but guys who can create their own offense, Kristaps Przingis too, and Miles Turner is going to get there. Like, they can create their own offense, but, I mean, yeah, like, their their skill set includes playing great defense, especially around the rim, and being able to hit three-point shots. I mean, I think at this point in the league, like, it, it's becoming harder and harder to get a guy who doesn't stretch a defense out just because mm-hmm. so many opposing centers are going to. Well, like, again, there, there's a Clint Capella and a Steven Adams exception out there, but we've seen it even with, you know, guys like Brooke Lopez, Marcus Gasol in recent years, Al Horford. Right. Like, they've all had to stretch their range out. DeMarcus. To stay re- yeah, to stay relevant. So I, I think you're right there, more Like, if, I mean, that was part of the reason aside from just being a terrible defender, but Jaleel Okafor also didn't provide much offensively because he didn't have that three-point range. If he adds a three-point shot to his arsenal, suddenly he might become playable again. Yeah. When I said 3 and D, I, I mean, I don't think you need a guy. like you. The, the names you rattled off, like Davis and, and, um, and Boogie and those guys, like, look, I don't think you necessarily need those high-volume guys. You can, if you have plenty of scoring in the backcourt and on the wings, like that would be a, a a guy who can pick and pop while playing sound post defense and defending space. That guy's gonna be worth like <laughs> so much to a basketball team come playoff time. Then you have to and, and when I say three and D, I also say I don't say that like, he's supposedly supposed to be bad on the boards either. I don't know if that's another aspect. Obviously, if you're a center and you're playing near the rim, you need to go grab the boards. Mm -hmm. But it just seems like we have so many of these guys who are old-school type players who we we see now are just falling behind. Like, we just talked about Whiteside. You mentioned Ja. We have Nurkic right now. You know, Greg Monroe is doing okay in Boston schemes, but he's a bench player. The talent, like, the talent is undeniable. Those guys are good enough to be starters. Like, the talent is amazing. It's just not what the league... It's not the hero that they need right now. <laughs> right. right? And, and I, I would 
I mean, Josh could speak to this better than I can, but, you know, a guy like Valanciunas, who is mm-hmm. at least, like, starting to flash a little bit of three-point range, yeah, like, they, Tor- Toronto doesn't need him to be a 25-point-per-game scorer because they have Kyle Lowry and DeRozan and Ibaka, and they have the bench mob, so they're, like, cool with him playing 25 minutes a game and filling the role that he does. I, I agree, more. Like, you don't need a guy like that, but I think guys like that are proving to be weapons, I mean, oh, yeah, especially yeah. come playoff time, because especially if more teams shift away from that, then if you're one of the teams that has it, it's going to become that much more difficult to guard. Right. I, I, yeah, we were just talking about Nurkic specifically. And yeah. with Damon CJ there, I was just you don't need him, Nurkic, right, right, right. to go out and get Ferdy, right? That was just, yeah. But I definitely think that moving forward, I wouldn't be surprised to see the draft like just be really keen on big men who can defend and hit oh, yeah. threes who are like in center size not just these like stretch fours who are like six nine two thirty but like if you can get someone in there who's like six eleven lamarcus aldridge size mm-hmm. if you can defend and hit threes while at that size you're pretty much locked to go top five right yeah i think okafor is going to be basically like a paradigm shifting center and that he's like the last of the traditional low post bigs who's going to go with that high of a pick. And then teams are going to realize, like, if you can't guard a pick and roll, you have no business being a top 10 pick. I don't care what else you bring to the table. You're going to get played off the floor. Yeah. It's, you just can't do it. Uh, Josh, I, I do. I realize there's one other disappointment, at least I know of, that we haven't touched on in OKC. Not necessarily a player's performance, but something else he bestowed upon himself would you like to share that one yeah um playoff p we need to go deep in on this okay <laughs> i i have a full thing about nicknames okay the nba is great for nicknames not a lot of other sports do this where they have like where almost every star has a nickname um some people just don't like them in general but i like nicknames um nicknames are cool but some of them are just really bad and we know this like I know the beard is a thing and the brow are things, but, like, if you're naming yourself after, like, basically body parts or, like, parts of you that literally anyone else can have, that's not really that special. I get it's your identifying thing. And, like, yeah, I don't want to clean-shaven James Harden because I've seen what that looks like. But, um, I mean, it's just it's just weird. And so playoff P, what does that even mean, man? Like, playoff Paul, playoff, like, ah. And, and it sounds like... Like, literally, if you went to a kindergartner and you're like, hey, man, uh, I need you to come up with, like, a really cool nickname for something that's in the playoffs. And they'd be like, playoffs? And then they'd be like, ah, well, this guy's name is uh, Paul, so playoff P, bam. Like, it wasn't it wasn't well thought out. Like, come on, man. Like, Kevin Garnett, the big ticket, that's better. Like, that's a pretty good nickname. Yeah, he's big, that's simple, but the, like the ticket part, you know, that actually like means something. He's taking you to the goal. You know, it matters. That has a little bit of depth to it. Playoff P is ridiculous and can be interpreted in so many bad ways. Yep. <laughs> and I mean, you're, you're going to do this on a team too that like, I, do you really need to be like doing this right now? Like, I guess it's, it has a little bit of injection of fun, but like your team is like really rocky. Um <laughs> So I don't know, man. I just I think it's I think it's ridiculous, but hilarious at the same time. Uh, oh yeah. What are your guys' thoughts on that name? 
I, I just think that whenever I, I watch games at night because I live in Denmark. So oh, yeah. whenever I get up to have a pee, I'm just gonna say to myself, I'm gonna have a playoff <laughs> pee. Yeah. Like that's just that's just the way it is. A nighttime yeah. playoff pee. Yeah. The, yeah. I, I think where you said it best earlier. No nickname that could be abbreviated to PP is a good nickname. Yeah, so. that's so much Trump connection right there. It's just not good timing, Paul. No. It's just not. Oh. It's not good timing. It's it's really not. And here's the thing: like, he he's he's just. I think he wants to have like an awesome nickname so bad. Like, hey, PG thirteen. Like he had twenty four, switched to thirteen, so it would fit his nickname and all that. By the way, side note. He looked so much doper in 24 than he does 13, but that's a different story. But, like, why? Why are you so up in arms about getting a nickname? I mean, and then on the Thunder, like, you have Mellow. Like, that's that's a perfect nickname because that's just a shortening of his of, of a name. And that's just, it sounds good and it's awesome. Don't, just don't, Paul. Don't. It's <laughs> dumb. Yeah, I, uh... After hearing that nickname, I no longer want the Sixers to target him this summer in free agency. Godspeed. That's a big decision off a nickname. <laughs> Godspeed, yeah. Lakers fans. Enjoy LeVar Ball and playoff P. Hey, oh, it would, they'll have it, the same color, too. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, playoff P just fits in, in yellow, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it does. <laughs> Certainly when it's late at night and you haven't like hydrated enough during the day. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh. it's and, and they call them. It's gold, right? It's almost golden. Gold, right? So like, yeah, yeah. right. So purple yeah. and gold. Yep. Yeah, purple. Exactly. Right there. It 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 writes itself. <laughs> well, at least we solved one off-season dilemma for this summer. Uh, guys, do you have any other disappointments, or should we wrap up with that nonsense? I, I think it's always wise to wrap up with nonsense. Perfect. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, Josh, thanks again for joining us today. One more time, could you let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work? Yeah, yeah. You can. You guys can find me at uh, Howvolution on Twitter. Um, and you can find my work at Raptors Republic and B-Ball Breakdown and Scene Creek if you're into movie stuff. Beautiful. Yes. Check Josh out there. He's going to be relevant for a while in these playoffs, it seems. In the <laughs> Just meantime. a little while. Yeah. Then I'll be totally relevant again. It'll be cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we forget that Toronto has a basketball team for 11 months of the year, but now we're reminded, I guess. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at the NBA pod in our bio. You can find our Twitter handles. So please give us a follow as well. Also check us out on iTunes. Please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We'd love any feedback and we're being hosted on the almighty baller podcast network. So check them out at almighty casts. Until next time, I'm Brian Saporic, and I was joined by Morton Jensen and Josh Howe. Have a good one, guys. You too, Brian. Thanks for having me on, guys. Sure thing. We'll have to have you back, Josh, when the Raptors and the Sixers are in the conference finals. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Later, guys. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store 
store clearance. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.